Hey there. Thank you for creating time to tune in to today's episode. My name is Adriana and this is the PMDD podcast. I am warning listeners that there may be sensitive topics surrounding mental health and health procedures. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Let's get straight into the next episode. I have Amanda here to share her experience with PMDD. I think the listeners here are going to get a lot out of this one, so I'm super excited. Thank you, Amanda, for being here. Thanks, Adriana, for inviting me on. I'm really happy to be talking with you today. Me too, me too. So first of all, where are you? I think I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) I'm I'm day seven. Oh, day seven. (laughs) Excellent. That's where my mind goes. But I am in Denver, Colorado in the United States. That's not where I was going, but I'm so glad that you said that. You know, I actually should be asking that question straight off with everybody, I think. So day seven, so how are we feeling today? I am feeling top of the game today. Uh, Yeah, I've had a good week. The week before was extra bad. So I've kind of been in a catch-up recovery space, but I've got this new energy and I'm taking a class right now and I'm feeling really focused and it feels really good. That's fantastic. So let's begin with when did you first hear about PMDD? I first heard about PMDD four years ago when I was doing my own research. I had been struggling a lot with mood shifts uh, and then I, I started to believe it was tied to ovarian pain I was having around ovulation because it seemed like that's when it would start. I would start to have these um, really intense changes, like a sort of switch um, at the ovulation time. And I didn't know what it could be. I thought it could be cysts. Um, I didn't even know what that felt like or um, if that could affect mood. But I started Googling cysts and mood changes. And through some just different uh, keyword Google searches, I came across the phrase premenstrual dysphoric disorder and it grabbed me. I I started reading about it and then started uh, doing as much research on it as I could and found several women's stories and forums of women talking about it and immediately felt this is what I have. It felt right. It felt like I'd never read anything so close to the changes I went through every month. And so uh, I started tracking my symptoms from that point, which was recommended by a lot of the women in these forums to start paying attention to see if the same symptoms showed up at the same time every month on the same days or around the same days. What type of symptoms were you tracking? What were they telling you to, to, to track? In the start, it was tracking tearfulness and anger, irritability, sudden moments of rage, um, and other things like physical symptoms like sleep disturbances or appetite, um, stiffness in joints or muscles and pelvic pain, 
and uh, that might have been how it started with those few symptoms. With this tracking and this new knowledge, what did you do next? I decided to go to the doctor. Um, I've never had a regular care physician as an adult um, and the way it's set up here um, with my health care in Colorado, it's kind of uh, like the McDonald's of healthcare. You just kind of pick a doctor and go to them and it's a, a very conveyor belt sort of system. And I brought my notes to a gynecologist and she um, didn't look at them. She just took my word for it. And I told her, I think I have PMDD. And she got on her computer and typed in the phrase and found some information that she printed off for me. And she handed me um, these like two pieces of paper of information on it without giving me any information herself. And then she scheduled me an appointment with a psychiatrist to get a Prozac prescription. Oh, wow. Okay. And did you see the psychiatrist? I did. Yep. And I got a prescription, which I went on for a year. I started noticing changes. Um, Maybe after a month, I started noticing changes for two to three months. Um, And I felt really positive. Um, It almost felt a little too easy. Like, oh my God, that was that easy. (laughs) And now I'm feeling better. Um, And then I started to feel back to normal. And I might've upped the dose a little bit um, until my prescription ran out over the course of a year, but I didn't notice it working anymore. So I decided to go off of it altogether and start looking at natural ways to try and treat it. Mm. May I ask how old you are now? Yeah, I'm 34. Okay. So we got the diagnosis or started looking into it about four years ago. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And Maybe can you dive into maybe a little bit of what your periods looked like when you were younger? Did you seem to have, now that you reflect on it, what were your, did you have any symptoms um, in the teenage years? Do you want to give a bit of scope on that? I did. I think I probably had PMDD since I got my period at 11 years old because I I got it early. Um And I think I was one of the only girls my age who had it. And it was not talked about. I didn't know who else had it. I felt very different and very ashamed um, already just having my period and not knowing how to deal with it in school and being afraid of a blood leak or not knowing when it was okay to go to use the bathroom. Um, But I did start noticing a lot of uh, depression pretty early on. I'd say around 12 years old, I started having severe episodes of depression. And um, I think I was an only child and I, you know, I was the only child my parents knew. And I think they just were like, wow, we have a very emotional child. (laughs) Um, And that's just who I was. I was just emotional. I could be emotionally dramatic. Um, And it was, it was never an issue of looking into mental health. I just thought, uh, I don't know. I, I, I didn't know what to think at quite that age, I suppose, but I journaled um, a lot at that time. And looking back in my diaries, I see those days. I can see those days stand out because um, it would be a switch from talking about how much I enjoyed doing something with friends to then thinking, I don't even know if I want to live. And I I think I, I've always had anxiety um, 
and that would get very severe as well. So I think those were the first symptoms I would really notice would be depression and anxiety and always pelvic pain. I've had severe pelvic pain since I was very young. And uh, I would, um, I'd like to speak to how it tied into um, the faith I was raised in. Um, I was raised evangelical Christian. And so a lot of that, uh, a lot of my symptoms tied into a belief that I wasn't being faithful enough. So I thought if I was having a day of depression or anxiety that I hadn't prayed enough or I hadn't pleased God or possibly even that the devil truthfully was um, tempting me or trying to draw me towards him, trying to draw me away from God. I believe that very strongly um, at that age. And so then I would just go into this darker depression and being really hard on myself thinking that this is my fault. If I could just be better, do better, I would be fine. I wouldn't deal with depression if I were being a better person. And and at that age, I I really wasn't a bad kid. Um, I would say I might've thought mean things about my friends. And that was what I believed God was punishing me for was if I had called my friend a name or thought bad things or um, had a a sexual thought about a crush, then I thought, oh, this, this is my fault. I brought this on. So it was this constant battle with myself thinking I, I'm at fault here and I need to get right with God so that Satan doesn't get a hold of me. That was a hell of a lot of pressure. And that shows up in my diaries often. And that was very heartbreaking for me to go back and read all of those diaries um, and believe that it was a spiritual failing on my part when really it was this illness this whole time that I'd never even heard of before. Wow. And and for us listening in that don't know what Angelico Christian Christianity is, can you give us a little bit of an insight? Because I yeah, I, I don't know what that is. So in the evangelical church, um, and at least what I grew up with, um, it leans towards a lot of uh control of thoughts, control of body, control of what you uh take in from the media. So my music was monitored. My television and movies were monitored. Um, I heard a lot from church leaders, youth group leaders, that God was aware of every thought and we had to guard all of our thoughts. So any any cruel thought, any sexual thought, God knew all of it and we could be punished for it. Um, our bodies were things of sin. Our bodies um Uh, caused other people to stumble is the word that's used in the church cause other people to sin because they if they can see your body they think um sexual thoughts and then it's your fault for having made someone else have a sexual thought about you so there was a lot um uh, well it's called purity culture a lot of what i was involved in um which is i think pretty specific to evangelicalism I think it also crosses a lot of other religions as well. But in the evangelical church, um, I went to things like abstinence retreats where um, like as a 13 year old, you go and uh, gather with a bunch of other teenagers to hear about how much God cares about your sex life and waiting to have sex for marriage and that you're meant for a spouse because when you're married, you can do more work for God than by yourself. So the whole plan was from the age of 12, the whole plan was to get married um, and to save myself for my husband, not have any sexual encounters or thoughts or self-pleasure whatsoever. Um, 
otherwise I could ruin God's plan for me. I could ruin the spouse, um, like the quality of spouse that I would receive. And um, so my whole world became really focused on earning these things. I wanted to earn God's best and, and earn a great sex life and marriage. And uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of these kind of messages, it's not in every Christian church, but um, I think with evangelicals, it's a lot more about uh, mission work um, and doing your part to save other people and bring others to Christ. So you must represent Christ. Christ and be as pure as you can. I mean, we were told you can't be perfect, but um, there was the implication that you were to be as much like Christ and perfection as you possibly could. Mm, Wow. With that understanding now, I can see why you would have tied the PMDD symptoms into this faith and, um, and writing about it. It's so, that's quite scary. You do keep saying were the word were. So are you with this faith now or? Uh, yeah, good catch. Um, no, I started leaving the church about 14 years ago. Um, and it's a long process. A lot of people uh, are coming out of the church now and calling it a deconstruction process. A lot of us call ourselves ex-evangelicals. And there's a whole community of people across the globe now, these ex-evangelicals who've been through these similar experiences and we're finding each other. And that's been really, really powerful to know that it wasn't just me because I felt it was just my story well into my 20s. Um, so I, I'm i not with the church at all anymore and I don't identify as a Christian. Um, I went through a phase of atheism, which I needed to in order to do a lot of my own study and research and assessment. Um, and at this point, I've come back into my own brain of spirituality, which I'm really happy with. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Uh, it does really tie into your story, um, especially with your PMDD experience. Let's go back to you had seen the psychiatrist, you had been on the pills, um, and then you got off them, and then you wanted to start the natural way of healing yourself. And you have a really unique way um, of dealing with your managing your PMDD, I should say. Um, please do share how this all came about and what what you're doing. Well, I started with diet changes because I read that dairy and sugar and caffeine and alcohol and gluten could all contribute to worsening symptoms. Um, so that was that was difficult. I started slow and I just started cutting out kind of one thing at a time and realized how much of those things I was consuming every day. And the more I was able to take dairy, especially out of my diet and reduce my sugar intake um, and caffeine, which really enhances my anxiety. Uh, I wasn't much of a drinker drinker to begin with, um, but I, I started feeling just as good as I had on Prozac during those good months. Um, and I also started, I, I was pretty lazy, I would say for a lot of my life, but I started walking a lot. Um, and I'm up to a point of exercising almost every day now, but one of the biggest ways that I have used to manage my symptoms that has been so, so helpful for me on so many levels is to start naming these different parts that I recognize. So a lot of women will refer to the the switch. And we know that we have these two sides of ourselves 
And uh, I've also read a lot of women refer to it as Jekyll and Hyde. And I related to that for a long time. And that was making sense for me. So I started uh, considering it this Jekyll and Hyde split for a while. So I, I knew I was two people. I felt like two people. Um, and I didn't recognize either version of myself when I was in my luteal phase um, versus the first half of my cycle. And um, um, I've been married um, for 12 years um, with my partner for over 14 years. So he has witnessed um, a lot of these symptoms and unfortunately been um, taken a good brunt of a lot of them as well. And it's caused a lot of relational discord. But once I got my diagnosis, uh, it made a huge difference in my relationship and us knowing that it wasn't that I just hated him and wanted to get a divorce every two weeks. I was uh, having these other voices in my head, like other people telling me what to do and how to think. And so the more we both learned about it, um, I decided I wanted to choose my own names instead of just Jekyll and Hyde. And he suggested uh, goddesses. And he told me about the goddess Kali, who I didn't know anything about at the time, but she is this goddess of destruction. She is blue. She wears this necklace of men's skulls around her neck. Um, uh, you'll Often you'll see her with her tongue all the way out, um, kind of like the, the Maori tradition with the haka. Mm. Um, like this very intimidating figure who kind of exhibits masculinity and femininity and she's standing on a man crushing his head and that's how I feel during a part of this time I I just I get hateful feelings and very cruel feelings and so I decided to name this version of myself Kali and that helped my husband and I understand how to recognize when it was her and then to compartmentalize her and and know what she needed and she needed to just be alone or not be around my husband. And that's, <laughs> it saved, it saved our marriage. Um, and it's been so beautiful. One, to have a partner who's willing to work with me on this for so many years, um, but to also want to understand and to know that it's not an offense if I need to leave the room or need to stop talking all of a sudden because I can feel her coming to the surface and I know I'm about to say something snappish or critical she's so critical um so like we'll just cut off communication until she's gone and it has worked so well um but since naming her um like the more you recognize parts of yourself the more you see how nuanced they are and so I started naming a couple other parts because I knew that Kali was very angry and destructive and critical but I also had this side during PMDD Um, where I would just get so, so overwhelmed. Like I couldn't make a decision anywhere. I couldn't go to a restaurant. I couldn't go to a coffee shop or a grocery store, make a decision without feeling like I had to run. Like I felt like crying. I've suppressed so many tears in public places. And I, you feel so childish. This is ridiculous. You think you're stupid. You think like, why, why do I feel like crying when I have to make a choice between a a mocha or a caramel latte and I can't, it's too overwhelming. And, and so I would just start avoiding a lot of um, social things or a lot of public places, which, which is no fun either. But I realized that this one who gets weepier and she, she cries drop of a hat and, and feels 
very needy um, and feels like she needs a lot of like snuggles and soft things and, and sweet, like animated movies and like a nice environment, like twinkle lights. <laughs> and, um, so she's like sickly sweet though. Like I, she can be just annoying because she's just like an annoying little child. Um, the way she gets overwhelmed and, and it, and needy. So I've named her lilac, like this kind of sickly sweet, but also, you know, nice because she's also very sensitive. Um, so I named her, but then I would have like, there's like one day every month, maybe not every month, but it's thank God it's only one day, but every few months I get a combination of lilac and Kali on the same day where I feel like screaming and crying at the same time. I feel like being very bold and very weak at the same time. And it is the worst, the absolute worst part of the illness is when I exhibit both of these personalities on the same day. And so I've, I combine the names and I call her colic, which <laughs> is perfect. She's very colicky. And uh, so she, she can't go to work. She can't get dressed. I always know when it's her right away in the morning because she doesn't know what to wear because she has no defined personality. She cannot dress to to please herself because she doesn't know who she is. So I can't even I can't even put clothes on. Like I'll, I'll I would be late for work um, when I was um, teaching. I haven't I've been working for myself for the past four years, um, but before then I, I would just. I would be late to work all the time, struggling with her, um, trying to get out the door. And so um, it, it's it's so helpful to know these parts because then I am able to prepare for them. I Because of my tracking, I know when they're likely to show up. I know that I shouldn't make certain plans on the days they're going to show up or expect too much of myself. Um, I might plan to, you know, indulge, you know, in some chocolate cake or something like that when lilac, lilac shows up because, um, you know, just, I just, it's nice to be kind to them. Like, I think like those parts of us are saying like, we need something we're not getting. Um, and that's why they come to the surface and with PMDD, you're extra sensitive to triggers. And so they're triggered tremendously. Um, and it helps just kind of ask them like to, to compartmentalize these parts away and then ask them, what do you need right now? And to, to show them love for a long time, I was showing them hate because I hated when they showed up. And so we struggled a long time. Um, but when I can also name them, I don't have to identify with them. I can go on as Amanda in my day. If I need to get something done for work or in relationship, I can, I can do that and just say, oh, hey, we'll come back to you. You can go into your own room here and we'll give you the space you need when I'm able to get to it. But you can't show up right now. Sorry, but, you know, but you will have your time. And that has, has been a game changer for me and my relationships um, and my ability to pursue my dreams and career. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about the career. Tell me how, like, what have you sort of formulated now in your career so that it has been a great space for you to be able to manage your PMD, but also what it sounds like, thrive in your business? Well, I was running um, an art and literature business for a while um, in Denver called Suspect Press. We put out a literary magazine and some books. And so I was able to control my own schedule. Um, And then through my 
connections and work with that um, and experience as a business owner. Uh, I uh, got into more of the arts and I've been working as a full-time artist for the past year. Um, I'm a filmmaker and a writer and I'm also a creative coach and I'm about to be a Reiki healer. Um, I'm going to be certified next week. And I'm very excited about that. So I have a lot of modalities that I bring to my creative coaching. And so um, this allows me to work with the things I love and enjoy and set my own schedule to do it. Because if I um, only offer certain times for clients, you know, I know those times are going to be the times I can be with them. And I could also reschedule if I absolutely needed to. Um, And hopefully anyone I work with would be understanding of that. You did mention when we spoke um, the other day about your colleagues as well, because you're quite open about uh, your diagnosis with PMDD um, and they're very supportive. Yeah, I talk about it with everybody. (laughs) Um, With the suspect press, I primarily worked with men, but they were my best friends. um, And so I did talk to them about it and they always knew I think how to read signs and would give me a lot of leeway and say, Hey, if you need to go home today, like we got this, you're good. Mm. Um, And I'm so grateful to them. Uh, But Oh yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell everybody about it. (laughs) I, I want to spread the information because so many women have never even heard of this illness. Um, So many doctors have never heard of this illness And I think a lot of people live with it and don't even know what they're going through. They think it's just depression, it's anxiety, it's I'm crazy. I think a lot of us get stuck in that um, idea. We just think we're crazy because it feels like it. You feel like you're going crazy and you have no control of yourself. Um, But there is a name for it. Um, And once you know, you can learn about it and, and track your symptoms. And I think it's helpful for a lot of other uh, maladies and illnesses as well. I've talked about it with friends who have bipolar, um, with friends who have borderline personality, and they've um, liked this parts work idea too of naming these other selves in order to help with um, their respective conditions as well. Mm, I, I loved hearing that way of managing PMDD. I, I haven't come up with my first name yet, but I'm just... <laughs> I'm definitely going to do that because I think that, yeah, actually, and having it as a separate entity, like a separate person as well, that it's not me, that it's somebody else. Um, and that, you know, I can tell that thing, that person or whatever to, to go away right now because I'm working on X, Y. I would love to touch upon a little bit more and dive deeper into your relationship as well, because I think listeners, I know you touched upon it already and he's so supportive, but maybe just giving a little bit more insight on how he supports you, because that's definitely something that listeners are wanting to to know more about, if that's okay. My partner supports me by letting me rant <laughs> when, when I'm having ranty moments. He knows that he doesn't have to fix anything, uh, solve anything, that I just need to let it out sometimes. And sometimes I'll even couch it and say, you don't have to listen to me right now. I just want to say this stuff out loud. And he'll be like, okay. <laughs> um, so he's very good at supporting just the variety of moods that come up. 
Um, of course, there's always the eye rolling or the, the deep breathing to center himself. And he'll admit often that it's a lot, um, almost monthly, you know, I'll, he'll say not, not in an offensive way, but just like, this, this is a lot for me. Like I'm here for you, but this is a lot for me. And that kind of reminds me that I can't just take out everything on him or bring everything to him that um, comes up for me. Like sometimes I just want to cry like a baby and want to be held. And, you know, maybe he doesn't feel like being touchy in that moment. And I also need to understand that um, I could get that maybe from a big pillow or something. (laughs) Um, But he's, he, he used to do the thing that I think a lot of women hate, which is, are you in PMDD right now? Or are you PMSing right now? Or do you have your period right now? (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, But it really helps that he doesn't ask or suggest that kind of thing anymore. Um, We've worked it out where, you know, he's, he's asked like, what would you like me to say? Or how can I approach you with, um, what you need that wouldn't trigger you to help me know where you're at. Um, so one thing for me is a uh, simple, what day are you on? Um, preferably not in a moment where I'm stressing out, <laughs> you know, maybe just like a, the start of the day. Oh, what day are you on today? Okay. Um, so like, or just, I know that I can just tell him, I'm like, Hey, I'm on day 21 today. And I just realized that I'm a little off or he'll notice I'm being a little off before I will. And then I'll look at my tracking book and be like, I'm on day 21. And we'll both be like, okay. All right. So let's maybe not have this conversation today. He's really good about not pushing any conversations on these days or like for the whole week before getting my period. Like say we need to address something in our relationship. Like we both know this is not the week. (laughs) I mean, we've gotten really good at waiting um, for these kind of conversations or even maybe they dissipate and don't need to be said by the time that comes around. Um, uh, Or even decisions like say we need to make a bigger decision, like a a purchase or a repair. Um, And he knows that he can just wait. We don't need to deal with it this week. Um, and he's really good at not expecting things of me that I cannot provide during the time. Um, and yeah, he's really cool about the names. Like I feel a little crazy being like, Oh, I'm this person today, but it makes a lot of sense to him. He has ADHD. Um, and it's actually started to work with, um, his condition too. He prefers numbers. Like what number are you on today? Um, instead of names, um, but I think that helps too, like having respective, um, funny brains <laughs> uh, makes us really respectful and sympathetic to what the other is going to, because he'll have days where his brain is going a mile a minute um, and he needs to ask me like, hey, I don't think I can handle this conversation right now, but I'd like to later. And just trying to lovingly come at it and just, you know, show that we understand and we know, but today is not a day where we can deal with this and then respect that. Mm. The key messages I just got there, uh, communication is just so, so important, but not just communicating, but also listening and actually 
taking it in for real. Um, and also that we don't have to make this so serious either. Um, we can Absolutely. have a bit of we can have a bit of fun with it as well. Um, uh, yeah, I think that we are taking it a little bit too too serious. But um, my favorite question to finish off is to ask. What are the positives that have come out from being diagnosed with PMDD? I really like this question. Um, There are, I think, a lot of positives. Well, I think there's two parts for me in the way I'm hearing it. It's the positive of a diagnosis and there's a positive of having PMDD. Um, The positive of of the diagnosis certainly is knowing what you're working with knowing that tracking makes all the difference, knowing that you are one of many, you're not alone. Uh, and, and it can actually bring your friends. I've, I've met women here in Denver, just from talking about PMDD online, they've said, I have this too. And I thought, I thought I was the only one. And we've met up and talked about it and hopefully we'll bring some sort of meetup or our conference to Denver eventually. Um, so the diagnosis part it's just a complete game changer. And I'm grateful to have a diagnosis so I can know how to work with it. Um, But I'd also like to answer the positive of having PMDD um, because with PMDD, it forces you to slow down. I, I can be a little obsessive about productivity and accomplishing a lot. And I feel worthless on days if I didn't accomplish something or produce something or work on one of my projects. I have my hands in so many different creative projects right now. It's a little absurd, but PMDD is like, Hey, you don't have to be on every day. You need some rest. It's okay to just spend the whole day laying in the park, going for a walk, focusing on your body journaling. And part of me wants to say, no, I'm not producing anything, but, but the film says, sorry, too bad. <laughs> uh, we, we know what you need. And I think when we start to listen to PMDD more, it's going to show us things that we maybe need to adjust in our lives anyway. And if we adjust these things, we're not going to be triggered as much because we are already taking care of ourselves in the way we need to. So maybe I, I get over excited about working on something um, but then I push myself too much because I'm feeling good. Um, but then I'm going to burn out no matter what. Even if I didn't have PMDD, I'm pushing myself towards burnout. Um, so this is a reminder, like, hey, check yourself, you know, check in with yourself. Oh, so much to take in there. That was so great. Thank you. I love it how you've split it into two parts as well. So thank you for that. Um, Amanda, it has been an absolute pleasure. I Oh, I know listeners are going to get so much out of this episode. So I'm so grateful for you to share. Um, I know, I know I say that we're brave and courageous and you love talking about this to everybody and, and everything. So I'm so grateful that you've come onto the show to share your story. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be on. Thank you for listening. I hope this episode has resonated with you. Stay up to date with the podcast by hitting the subscribe or follow button. And lastly, my ultimate mission with this podcast is to raise awareness about PMDD. So if you know someone that may benefit from hearing this content, then please share with them.
To connect with me, my email is the PMDD podcast at gmail.com or Instagram at adriana.fudge. Much love and thank you for tuning in. Look forward to chatting with you soon.